Evander Holyfield is 57 years old. Nearly 60 now, Holyfield. So he's several years older than Mike Tyson, who's 53. But Holyfield is talking about coming back himself. Now, Holyfield's manager, I believe it is, has expressed interest in making a trilogy fight between Holyfield and Tyson. Uh, but Holyfield himself says that it's the Riddick Bowe fight, the, the fourth fight between him and Big Daddy that he's really interested in rather than fighting Mike Tyson. Now, I've said in previous videos, and I'll reiterate again here, I don't want to see any of these guys get back in the ring. Uh, but Holyfield and Bo in an exhibition, <laughs> I mean, Holyfield is in remarkable condition for a man of his age, okay? Riddick Bo is not. Riddick Bo is seriously punch drunk. He is suffering from quite severe pugilistic dementia. I don't want to see that man get hit in the head. <laughs> you know what I mean? Same with James Tony. He's another guy who can barely string a sentence together at this stage. Uh, do you want to see someone like that get punched in the head? I certainly don't. So I hope that Holyfield versus Riddick Bowe, uh, Holyfield rematch with James Tony. Not that they've been talking about that, but I guess it's uh, uh, something that if, it, if all these old guys are coming back and looking to fight each other, it's a possibility. But I don't want to see Holyfield against any of those uh, punch-drunk fighters. I don't want to see him come back to the ring, period. But if he is going to come back, hopefully it's just a, an exhibition in the true sense of the word, meaning it's not a real fight. That It's like a Mickey Rourke type, type situation. You know when Mickey Rourke had those fights? They weren't real fights. The guys were paid to lay down. And he barely hit them. So if Holyfield comes back, you know, maybe he moves around a little bit with an old sparring partner. They mess about in the ring, not really trying to hurt each other or anything like that. That's what I hope for. But maybe that's wishful thinking because Evander Holyfield was always a ferocious competitor. Same goes for Mike Tyson. You know, Mike Tyson was a brutal, brutal fighter. I don't know whether Tyson... Is, is capable after all these years of not being in the ring. I don't know if he's capable of coming back and not getting carried away and not actually wanting to hurt somebody and put them on the ground. <laughs> so Holyfield and Tyson, I mean, yeah, I, I definitely don't want to see that again because I think it could get out of hand. When they first sparred uh, when Mike Tyson was a teenager, I'm not sure how old Holyfield was at the time. I guess he must have been in his early 20s. Uh, because this was for the, uh, yeah, he was definitely in his 20s because it was for the Olympic trials or the Olympic box-offs. <clears throat> and their sparring session was so ferocious. And at the time, Holyfield was just a light heavyweight. And Mike Tyson was uh, a heavyweight. Their sparring session was so ferocious that the coaches stopped it after one round because it was so ferocious because they're so tremendously competitive, the pair of them. And of course, both of their pro fights were ferocious many years later. So now, even in their 50s, I wouldn't be surprised if the situation got out of hand. Not to say that they're enemies or anything like that. Not at all. They seem to get along fine these days. But it's different when you step back in the ring. You know, the old feelings emerge and the old co competitiveness and the old viciousness comes back. So, yeah, do we really want to see a 57-year-old man or a 53-year-old uh, man get stretched out of the ring? I, I wouldn't want to see that, people. So, yeah, that's my thoughts on it. Mike Tyson has said that he's back and, you know, this, that, and the other. You know, some people are saying that Mike Tyson really is just using this as uh, a marketing tool for whatever he's trying to do at the moment by way of media. You know, he's trying to get people to think that he's back and this, that, and the other. He's just basically uh, using this training footage and talk of a comeback as a PR stunt to promote whatever he's doing. Some people have suggested that. I hope they're right. Because again, I wouldn't want him to come back and, you know, end up, making a huge mistake 
<laughs> or, or particularly if he ends up fighting uh, some uh, old opponent like Evander Holyfield, where it could very well get out of hand. So, yeah, let me know what you guys think in the comment section below. It's happening about. Flexen, welcome to the latest edition of Seconds Out Reflections. We're here every Monday, 4.30pm, to discuss whatever we can uh, during the boxing shutdown period. And I guess the biggest news of the week is the widely covered development that Eddie Hearn is planning to relaunch matchroom boxing events with no crowd, of course, um, given the current environment, in uh, the matchroom HQ back garden, um, if you like. And, all the newspapers, and this is a bit of a pet peeve, are calling it Eddie Hearns hosting fights in his back garden. It's not his back garden. It's the back property area of the matchroom headquarters. So technically it's his, in that he's the head of matchroom. But it's not like, you know, we're going to see Eddie taking a shower, not that I'd want to, or, you know, um, having dinner with his family while the boxing's going on. Not that he'd do that anyway. Um, I'm sure he could multitask. But you get the point. Um, it's not his own back garden, which is just a bit silly, but papers love that sort of stuff, don't they? And it seems to make sense. Um, there can't be a crowd anyway, so the venue doesn't have to be massive. It's still going to be on TV, so it adds a bit of scenery, a bit of a concept, you know, an angle that people can talk about. And we have seen a ring there before. I've been there for um, public workouts that have taken place on the grounds of that property um, in Essex in the past. Um, I've also been there for meetings and barbecues, but I don't think they're lend themselves quite as well to live um, Sky Sports fight night slots, unfortunately. Um, watching us all stuff our faces, sounds fun. Um, we don't know yet which fight's are gonna be there, or which cards, obviously it's BBB of C rules at the moment, it's a maximum of five um, matches or contests per card. Um, we don't know um, which journalists or if any journalists are gonna be allowed and how that's gonna work, I imagine. Um, if you only let journalists and officials in, social distancing wouldn't be too difficult. Um, but the testing of everyone that's going to be there would suggest, and the cost incurred would suggest that they'll want to limit numbers as much as possible and it'll only be essential personnel and media only. I don't know if uh, Seconds Out comes under that environment, I like to, uh, under that criteria. I'd like to think it does. But I guess we'll wait and see like everyone else. Um, yeah, I mean, it's going to cost a lot to um, facilitate testing for everyone involved, even without taking press and officials into account, just the boxers and the referees, and so, oh, sorry, I said without officials, didn't I? Just the boxers and the promoter and the television crew obviously will be there to cover it. But it's a pretty good idea, it's somewhere that they could film, um, you know, it, it depends if it's gonna be live, but if it's gonna be live, they could do kind of one a week, two a week, whatever they wanna do. They could even film stuff and then broadcast it at a later date. Um, I'm not suggesting they do like retakes if they don't like the result and stuff like that. I wouldn't suggest any form of corruption, but just generally, it makes sense they can control the environment, which is important. Um, it's on home turf. It helps build the Matchroom and Sky brand as well. It's kind of like a home territory, if you like, in the same way that, you know, um, WWE NXT used to always be at Full Sail um, University and things like that. You know, you have kind of a home territory for your brand. I think that's kind of nice as well. Um, definitely not Eddie Hearn's back garden, but a big, big space um, where we've seen a boxing ring before. And I think it will really lend itself. Obviously, there will have to be provisions made for the English weather. Um, although, you know, it's lovely and sunny at the moment. It's been hot for the past week or so. You can't guarantee anything more than a couple of weeks in advance. Maybe not even that in this country, unfortunately. And, you know, I think the weather's probably the least of our worries, given everything that's going on at the moment. But I think it does need to be taken into account. There needs to be some form of covering or marquee or whatever it might be, just in case. But I think generally... I don't see a lot wrong with the idea and it's getting people interested again. We think apparently uh, Hearn is aiming for mid-July for his first show. Um, I'm not sure if that one will actually be um, in the Matchroom HQ or not, and um, probably will be. So we're not looking at too far away now, what, two months, less than two months? So we can start just kind of buzzing about it. There might be e-press conferences for some of the fights that are taking place unless the main ones are the ones that we've already had e-press conferences for. I think we've had about three or four from Matchroom now. Um, but it's just, you know, it, it gives us something to look forward to at long last. And I know boxing is very, very small in the wider perspective of people suffering from coronavirus, people losing their lives, tragically, of course. 
and pretty much every boxer I've interviewed has made a point of keeping focused on that bigger picture. But in times like this, when everything just seems to be doom and gloom, it's nice to have at least something to look forward to. And for football fans, that might be that the Bundesliga has returned and what that means for the Premier League coming back. But for boxing fans, and I hope most of the people watching this, if not all, are boxing fans, to know that there's shows within less than two months that we can actually watch, even if it's only on TV. I mean, I watch most of the shows on TV now anyway, um, because I don't work weekends. I have my, well, I do work, but I have my son at weekends, so I don't attend live events. So for me, just knowing that there's going to be a Friday or Saturday fight night in the offing sometime soon, even a Wednesday or Thursday fight night, I couldn't care less which day it is, I can't wait. Um, so I'm quite excited about it. And um, I'm sure if you've seen my recent interview with Frank Warren as well, he's intended to come back with at least minimum to start with, he said, one show per week on BT Sport. So that's really exciting too. You know, it, It's a bottleneck and it's not how we would have wanted to get there. But the idea of having live boxing, as long as they don't clash too much, which is important, but the idea of having live boxing one or two nights a week every week for a couple of months, I've got no complaints about that whatsoever. And I'm not sure where uh, Frank Warren's show is going to be held, if he's going to do a similar thing in that he'll have the same base and put all the shows there for the time being, or if he'll tour around and have different venues. I mean, obviously, I don't know how feasible it is to put a ring in um, the BT Sport studios in Stratford, but it's a massive complex and some of the places where they've had press conferences some of the rooms and the filming studios i don't see why they couldn't fit a ring in there it'd be very different um from having it outdoors at the matchroom hq but having it indoors with kind of the lights and the stuff that they could offer there that'd be pretty cool and the graphics and stuff i think that might be a really good idea i can't believe i haven't suggested that i'm sure they've already thought of it actually so i'm not gonna get on the um, blower to frank anytime soon not because i don't have his number i swear i do but um, yeah, I'm not going to call him and suggest that because he'll say, what do you think we are, idiots? Obviously, we've already considered it and they'll either do it or there's a very good reason why they can't. We shall see. But finally, after everything has gone on, a little chink, a little light at the end of the tunnel. And I can't be happier about that. Let me know what you think about these shows going ahead behind closed doors, particularly the concept of having them at Matchroom HQ. And uh, also the bottleneck and the, the positive implications of that and that we'll get more regular boxing, at least for a short period. Great to know your views. I'll respond to some of them um, and I'll be back on Thursday for Flexpectations, 4.30pm and the following week, Reflections Monday, same time, 4.30. Always a pleasure and I'll see you all soon. Cheers. To you, and then we'll do one to me. Let's do one in general, because I, I like this question. Right. Is taking a tune-up fight after COVID-19 considered ducking? And this is coming from Soccer Training Club. Um, no. Mm. Oh, they're not properly training. Just because you have all the time on your hands does not mean that you were properly training. A lot of these guys, you got to remember, a lot of these guys don't have the financial means to have their trainers like next door to them at their beck and call. These guys are maybe sparring, maybe hitting the mitts with some person, not their trainer. And it's, it's a completely different ball game. So I do not think that it's called ducking if they want to take a tune up. I respect people who want to go straight out and take those fights, but I would absolutely not look at it as ducking. Anybody who would be accused of ducking is in the upper tier of elite fighters anyway. And it's not like if they open the doors and the gates to our prison on Friday, they're going to need to be fighting the following Saturday. There's still going to be a buildup. There'll still be time to train. You could probably have four to six weeks still, especially if it's a, if it's a main event top tier fight. If you come out of this, as one of those guys, guys where people care whether or not you can duck someone, I think the onus is upon you to do as much training as you can during this time. And you shouldn't be out of shape. You just need to get, you just need to prepare for your opponent. Like, it has nothing to do with whether or not they want to train. Some don't, don't have the ability to do so. Michelle, the people who don't have the ability, we're not talking about them ducking anyway because 
they're, they're not in a position to duck anybody. Those are the guys who are going to be the tune-ups. <laughs> Those a a lot of them aren't leaving their homes and joining their trainers somewhere during this time. Like, a lot of people are very sensitive to this. Some are a little bit more lenient. Some are okay with being away from their families and training, and they're, they're, they're cool with it. Other people are like, absolutely not. I'm not leaving my house. I don't even want to leave my house to go get groceries. Yeah, again, I, I don't see why they would not be in shape. I'm not saying that you're prepared for the opponent, you're still going to have to fight camp. Okay. But if you so sat around for fucking two months eating okay. donuts and watching TV and drinking beers and then the gates open, you're like, oh, I need a tune-up. No, no, you don't need a tune-up. You need a trim down. You need some slim fast. You've been sitting around not being a professional, letting yourself balloon up, and now you need to lose weight. We're talking about the ones who are letting them balloon up. We know who those select few are, but I'm talking about the others who don't actually have all the training. So what you're basically saying, correct me if I'm wrong, but you're basically saying that um, when they announce the fight, let's let's say we are back in, let's just say August as a guesstimate, right? Okay. Let's say we're back in August. You're basically saying what the fight can get announced against, you know, uh, a, a solid opponent right away, but they'll still have two more months to train. A tune-up fight is like a training fight. Like, what they want to do, a guy who wants a tune-up, is to, like, not be fully in shape, not be fully prepared, get a check, get back in the spotlight, fight some guy who can't beat him, that's what a tune-up is, and then have yet another camp to get in shape for an actual elite fight. What I'm saying is, Lomachenko is at home, Devin Haney's at home, Lopez is at home. These guys, if you give them six to eight weeks, not six to eight days, but six to eight weeks, some maybe even on the outside, eight, you know, uh, or four to six weeks on the outside, eight weeks, any professional fighter, even after COVID, should be prepared to take on, and, and if anything, it's as level a playing field as you could possibly have because nobody's been fighting. Your opponent hasn't been doing any fighting either. And before, there was, like, stagger, like, how long has it been since your last fight? Who did you fight? What, what was the condition? How, how hurt were you? Everybody's had time to heal. Everybody has had the same amount of time away from the world. And you have the exact same amount of time to prepare for the next fight. I think it'll make fights way more interesting, if anything. But fighting a bum, you have to excuse the term, but that's who they're going to be picking. Bums and easy wins. And then making us wait yet another six to eight weeks before you fight somebody good. And then what about the guys who fight somebody good off the bat? We're gonna, it's, it, it'll, it, will, it will, will go right back to what the problem was before. We have a fresh start for everybody. Start getting ready. My mom always told me, be ready so you don't have to get ready. Everybody knows what their job is. Stay at least ready to start camp. I agree with what you're saying. I'm not saying, you know, I'm not approving of people letting themselves go and they're not trying to train are trying to, to stay prepared as at any moment, you know, the gates can be opened. I understand that. But overall, if we're talking about, like, they want to make a fight in the next month, month and a half, like four to six weeks, we're probably, let's say we open in August, we're probably not seeing a really good fight until the end of September, early October, because the fighters are going to, you know, take that additional time. But we are going to see a lot of fights from the get. Just a lot of random fights. Because that's what we're going to get from the situation. It is what it is. So I see what you're saying, but at the same time, I disagree. And I actually think that it's okay if we do get, um, you know, those... those it, let me, let, me, let, me, let me phrase it one way that you might... Maybe we'll agree. Maybe we'll find a way to find a common ground, right? The elite fighters, all right? I'm talking main event fighters, world champions, number one, number two contender types. Those guys should come out of quarantine fighting each other. They've, they all have, those guys all have the ability to stay in shape. They may not be able to fly their trainer in or have like camp like Canelo where the whole property is dedicated to your training. I get that. But they are all, they all have gyms in their homes. They have, uh, they have resources to remain in shape if you give them six to eight weeks to be prepared to fight each other. And the, but wait, but then the lower tier guys who may not fit in that category economically or even marquee status-wise, they're just not 
of the top echelon of boxers right now. They should fight each other. And that's where their tune-up should be because if the top-tier guys who are able to stay in some amount of shape and then can immediately pay for their, their camp six to eight weeks are picking the low-tier guys to fight, those low-tier guys don't have a shot at all and they're going to be taking the check because they're they're thirsty for money. They weren't able to like really stay in shape. They didn't have the same resources. And now they're going to be fighting uh, mismatches. And we're going to have, what do you want? Mismatches into 2021 until we can start getting some even match fights in like February or March of 20, because that's what's going to happen. We should like hold these guys accountable. Okay, here's, here's a comment from somebody. Uh, this comes from Adam Oliver. He said, tuna fights should be banned, period. If you're good enough, then fight the best. I don't even know. I don't even know how you. <laughs> I mean, uh, I, under, I I feel his sentiment. Obviously, that is not a practical. There's no practical application for that. Who ends up deciding what's a tune up and what's not? We all know what it is. But at the same time, you got to give a guy a shot. That's you know, that upsets happen too. a lot of a lot of stars have been made from so-called tune-up fights. A lot of assumed tune-ups turn out to derail everybody's plan and end up becoming the number one contender or the world champion when a guy was just being put in as an opponent so a guy could get ready for the fight we were all waiting for. I don't have to, there's a laundry list of boxing history that supports that. So I'm all for the guy getting the shot who is the underdog tune-up but has a chance to fight a champion that he might otherwise not get. Just not now. I don't want a whole round of that shit when the doors finally open up. I have like 20 mismatches on my calendar. I hate to break it to you, but that's exactly what's going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Uh, uh, all right, give me a question, Devon. Okay, hold on. Just want people to know, I'm sorry if I keep fidgeting with my eye, but I literally have something in it, and it's burning, and I'm trying not to like... Oh, there it goes. I literally just pulled it out. <laughs> just kidding. See, that's anyway, being a professional. That's being a professional. She, Michelle was suffering this whole time. You guys had no idea. She kept her game face on. And then put herself right into the pressure wheelhouse. Like, she told you what the problem was. She admitted she was suffering. And then with one swipe, she got a booger out of her eye immediately, without a second shot. That's what professionals do. No tune-up eye boogers for Michelle. Hey, Fi fans, it's Michelle Joy Phelps. If you haven't already subscribed to my YouTube channel, make sure you go ahead and do so by clicking this icon right here and hit the bell button so you can get notified every time we upload a new video. And we also have a free app available on iTunes and Google Play. So make sure you go ahead and download that. Bye, Fi fans. <laughs> I'm sure most of you are now aware that Chris Eubank Jr. is officially now training with Roy Jones Jr. That's his coach now. He says that he's going to be with Roy Jones for years to come. I've looked at some of the training footage of Chris Eubank Jr. with Roy Jones hitting the pads, also in sparring. And I haven't really noticed much difference yet. The way he throws his punches hasn't really changed as far as I can tell. He still throws a lot of bent arm shots. His stance doesn't seem that much different. He doesn't really get much extension on his punches. And that's been an issue for a long time, particularly when he's trying to box at long range. He's not getting extension on the right hand. I know that for a long time, he had an issue with his right elbow. He had tennis elbow. And that's a very painful condition, by the way, people. If you, got it, if you get it severely, it's very painful and it can... Uh, impede your ability to get full extension on your shots. But irrespective of whether that's the case or not, he's not getting full extension on the punches, same as usual. He likes to throw a lot of uppercuts in his sparring footage. He's uppercutting this uh, particular sparring partner constantly. So it just seems like the same old Eubank Jr. at the moment, but the proof is in the pudding, of course, when he returns to the ring. Now, the fact that Eubank Jr. likes training with Roy Jones and that he's so enthused about it doesn't surprise me because of the fact that Roy Jones has been there, seen it, and done it. And at one point, he was the pound-for-pound -pound number one uh, fighter in the world. So I think it's easier for Eubank Jr. to actually respect somebody like that 
because that's what he's shooting for. He wants to be a world champion and be respected and be on pound for pound lists, etc. So to be trained by somebody who's done that, I think Eubank Jr. might listen to him more than he might listen to a regular trainer who might have boxed, but was never a world champion. And also Eubank Jr. is somebody who is very athletic. And I think he is impressed by other athletically gifted fighters. And there's no fighter that I've seen in my lifetime who was more athletically gifted than Roy Jones Jr. in his prime. He was literally a freak of nature. And those of you who are around in the 1990s and witnessed uh, Roy Jones Jr.'s prime, you'll know what I'm talking about. His athleticism was absolutely absurd in his prime. And again, I think Eubank Jr. is drawn to that, to, to the athleticism of, of Roy Jones Jr., because Roy Jones Jr. really traded on his athleticism. He wasn't a guy that was particularly technical. He was a guy who was insanely athletically gifted. He would throw quadruple left hooks. He would do, you know, put his hands behind his back, wait for you to throw a punch and encounter with something that actually drops you. See, Tyson Fury puts his hands behind his back, but he just does it as a bit of showboating, a bit of psychological warfare. Roy Jones Jr. will put his hands behind his back, wait for you to throw a shot like he did to uh, Glenn Kelly, and then he dropped him with a right hand. When he fought a guy called Richard Hall at light heavyweight in the first round, he hit Richard Hall, I think, with a right hand. Then he literally ran around. He ran a circle around Richard Hall because Richard Hall was stunned from the first punch. He ran a circle around him and then he dropped him with the next punch. I mean, his athleticism was insane, the stuff he used to do. And I think that Chris Eubank Jr. finds... Roy Jones Jr.'s style of training, because I'm sure he's incorporating, in terms of training his fighters, the kind of stuff he used to do. And I think Chris Eubank Jr. finds it very fun, the way that Roy Jones Jr. trains. A lot of music, a lot of rhythm, a lot of, um, not necessarily training the athleticism, but making the most out of your athleticism with the type of training he does. It's less technical and more athleticism-based. Some of it is technical, of course, but it's all about freestyling a lot of the time and, you know, enhancing your athleticism, bringing it out, letting your athleticism run free. I think that is the kind of training that Roy Jones Jr. does a lot of, and he imparts that into his fighters, particularly someone like Chris Eubank Jr., who's very naturally athletically gifted himself. Nowhere near what a prime Roy Jones Jr. was in terms of his athleticism, but, you know, still. So... The proof is in the pudding. We'll see what results he can get with Roy Jones Jr. But one thing I can say is that it's very important as a fighter to respect your trainer and respect what he's teaching you, but also to be happy. And if Eubank Jr. is truly happy for the first time with a trainer, then it, it could yield results, you know? We'll see. And he was doing fairly well with the guy he's been training with the guy he trained with for the uh, James DeGale fight. I forget his name now. Is it Diaz, his surname? I think it's Diaz. I believe that Eubank Jr. is talking about retaining him in some capacity. Correct me if I'm wrong, but Roy Jones Jr. will be the head coach. So yeah, we'll see how it goes. Let me know what you guys think in the comment section below about Chris Eubank Jr. now having Roy Jones as his coach. Will it make a difference? Um you know, will they have more success? Will Eubank Jr. actually pick up a legit world title? Because he did have, was it an interim title, the WBA version or something like that, um, several years ago. But in terms of having a legit belt, will he be able to pick one of those up? Let me know what you guys think in the comment section below. And give me your assessment of Roy Jones Jr. as a trainer and what you think he might be able to teach Chris Eubank. I saw at one stage he was... Uh, getting Eubank Jr. to throw these triple hooks. But as I say, Eubank Jr. isn't as... He, he, his arms don't look as long as Roy Jones Jr.'s arms. I don't know what the reach is, but again, I always am at pains to point out there's a difference between reach and arm length. But his arms don't look as long as Roy Jones Jr.'s arms. And he's, he's just a different type of fighter. Maybe Eubank Jr. can't really fight at long range. Maybe I'm trying to encourage him to do something which he's physically not really capable of 
You know, and he can fight at long range, of course, but I'm talking about in the way that I'm expressing. So getting more extension on his punches, altering his stance a little bit. Now, when Eubank Jr. is on the back foot and he's got a pressure fighter coming at him, then he's actually quite good at long range. But I'm talking about when you're in the middle of the ring, like he was against Billy Joe Saunders or like he was against George Groves, being able to use your jab effectively at long range when you're in the middle of the ring against the boxer, being able to throw right hands at long range in the middle of the ring. See, Roy Jones Jr. could do these things. And he wasn't as technically gifted as Bernard Hopkins or James Tony or Mike McCallum. But yeah, he was still able to stand in the middle of the ring and box with these guys because of his athleticism and because he was getting good extension on his punches, Roy Jones, on his right hand. One of the things that Roy Jones used to do, a mistake he would often make, is he would leap in with a shot and leave himself out of position. But he was so fast that he'd get away with mistakes like that, throwing himself off balance and, you know, what have you. And, you know, as I say, he would just throw a punch be totally out of position but the counter would miss because Roy Jones would move his head or do whatever evasive maneuver and then reset himself and be able to throw more punches at you Eubank Jr. doesn't have that level of speed okay so if he does learn how to throw more extended right hands and extended punches at range he's gonna have to do it from a more technical uh perspective or on a more technical basis than Roy Jones Jr. So anyway, um, the triple left hooks that he was having Eubank Jr. throw and the quadruple left hooks on the pads. Will we see that when Eubank Jr. actually fights? Maybe. And you see those kind of things, it all looks very impressive on the pads when you're throwing triple left hooks and all this kind of stuff. But in certain instances in a boxing ring, you might be able to utilize that. I mean, it's nice to have it. It can't hurt you having that in your arsenal you know training that into your muscle memory Roy Jones Jr. was certainly able to utilize shots like that you know throwing quadruple left hooks most other fighters never get the opportunity um so we'll see where it goes with Eubank Jr. let me know what you guys think in the comment section below it's happening I'm out to the latest edition of Bella's Digest. The main man himself, Lou Bella, has your week been? Stable. <laughs> I'm, 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 I'm sta I, I've hit like, I'm okay right now. I'm, I'm keeping, I, I'm at least heading in the right direction. I'm heading in the right direction. Things kind of eased at all over there. I know some of our kind of lockdown restrictions in the UK have eased over the last week. What's it, what's the situation over there? No, it's. I think it's similar. You can definitely see it's taking a a, 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 a turn towards trying to open up. But um, you know, I think we're a long ways away from crowds and things like that. But uh, you know, I, you know what the funny part is, Danny. We're doing this on Friday instead of Wednesday today, which is good because that's the only thing that's really changed. <laughs> I mean, I think we're heading in the right direction, but it's going to be a slow and it's going to be a process. And you know, we've talked about it almost every time we've spoken so far. I don't think anything's changed. I think Aram's trying to, top rank boxing is trying to get back in June. I hope they can, but they have a lot of logistics that are not worked out yet with Nevada. And I know they're going to go in Nevada. So, you know, maybe if it's not the beginning of June, maybe it's the end of June, but it'd be nice, you know, they're starting moving toward that point. And I think you'll see, depending on how that goes and how the numbers go, you'll, you'll see more people potentially more, more, television media platforms coming back with live sports. I mean, there's still, you know, I'm seeing stuff with Premier League coming back potentially, and and I'm seeing stuff abroad with uh, football. Um, but, you know, time will tell. Most people here are still in a little bit of a waiting mode. Apparently there's going to be some shows in Mexico in June carried by ESPN, Zanfa Promotions, putting on a few shows as well. Yeah, I mean, it, you know, I, I think we always conjectured that things would start to open up. We don't have a, you know, we don't have a governing body. We don't have one person running our business. So boxing is going to come back when people are ready to come back. And, and to some extent, there are going to be protocols that are going to be mandated. And they're going to be protocols that other people are going to want to take that may be beyond what's mandated. And time will tell. And so uh, you know, we, all, all you can hope is that people will use reason 
and I and I do think people are trying to do that. So that that's really all you can hope for. Somewhat surprisingly, for the year 2020, the boxer most often being discussed at the moment seems to be Mike Tyson, uh, which is a little strange and maybe indicative of the situation we're all in, where we need a story. Um, what do you make of these rumours about him coming back in some form or another? Some form or another is the operative term. I mean, he owns a huge weed company, he owns the weed resort. You know, I smoke weed. Mike smokes multiples exponentially of what I do. I mean, he's not coming back to uh, have a serious boxing career. I mean, if he's coming back for exhibitions or he's going to come back for charity, if, if coming back may just mean he's back in the gym. I mean, you know, I I, I don't know, man. It depends on what you... People are really looking for a program. Mike also has a brand. And, and you know, looking sensational at 55 years old and uh, on, a, on a heavy bag or hitting mitts that's still impressive and that's still good for business that's good for the brand i don't know what mike's thinking but i'm not taking it seriously as boxing you know mike's a huge superstar he's a celebrity you know if he wants to hit the bag that's fine if he wants to do an exhibition that's a state okays under certain guidelines if he wants to raise money for a charity i think he'll have opportunities dependent on what he's hoping for i don't think he's thinking about tyson fury or Deontay Wilder, or any of this stuff. I mean, you know, I mean, Mike knows that he was, you know, he was on the tail end of his career. When he retired, he wasn't beating the best in the game. You don't get better when years pass by. Mike's not nuts. Mike knows what he's doing. I'm not worried about Mike Tyson, nor am I taking this seriously as a boxing comeback. Mike's smarter than many of us. And, he, and Mike has people around him that care about him. So I'm not worried about Mike Tyson. I saw a story earlier, you know, why voted as saying he really doesn't want uh, Mike to come back and if it comes too close he's going to offer him some sort of role so that he doesn't have to who said that Dana White I mean I I don't think Mike's I, I mean I just don't think Mike's really I don't think it's a real comeback and maybe Dana knows something more than I know but uh, you know this there's like if he wants to do an exhibition with you know well, guys like Tyson are back in the gym. Evander, they're back in the gym. If they want to do a few rounds and get back in and do an exhibition, they could do it in a private gym. They don't need our permission. They're men. They're, they have, you know, if they want to do that, they could do that. They want to do that, and they could raise $50 million for a cause or a charity or ch help change the world. God bless them. And I'm, I've learned, like, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not jumping out to, you know, to you know, criticize necessarily anything. I mean, if someone told me that Mike Tyson signed a new promotional agreement with whoever and was coming back to regain the heavyweight championship of the world, I would say, "Fuck, go fuck off. Come on, stop." But, but it, you know, there's a lot of other things he could do if he wants to get, you know, if if he wants to fulfill some kind of boxing Jones. There are a lot of other things that he could do that might be perfectly okay. It's another example though, of Dana White being quoted talking about boxing, and he seems to have been kind of he's entitled. To get he's entitled to talk about boxing. He's entitled to talk about boxing, and he and I'm entitled to talk about UFC or MMA. I mean, we're entitled to say we want. I don't agree with this guy on a lot of stuff, but I don't dislike the guy. I disagree with him on a lot of stuff, but I think he respects me. I respect him. We can talk. I don't go out there to hate on what he does. You know, I mean, look, look right now. I don't think. Let, let's face the reality. I don't think there's black and white, right and wrong. You want to be careful right now. You want to protect people. Fuck, I'm going to be 60 shortly, okay? So, like, I mean, you know, my mother is 86 years old, you know? I have my siblings, you know, are cancer survivors, uh, you know, uh, among them. So, like, you know, I, 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 I want to protect people. I want us to be safe about how we return to operating, but I want to get back and, I, I, I want to start again. I think everyone does. You just want to do it with a sense of responsibility. He's been talking so about Dana, like, I don't, I wasn't going to jump on Dana for making the decision he made and bringing UFC back. I mean, you know, he had a lot of people urging him on. There's a great demand. And, and you know, I, I mean, I, you know, this, I don't think there's any clear cut right and wrong now, but I, I think they're sitting back a little bit and, 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 and being as responsible as we can. Sounds like it makes sense to me. He's been kind of talking about moving across into boxing in some way, shape, or He has, a, let me tell you, he has enough issues. He, he needs to keep his 
his franchise on top in UFC. He needs, you know, they're coming at it. They're going through tough times. I mean, everybody, Endeavor is, is, you know, sits there and they have their own issues. And, and I mean, you know, Dana's not worrying about getting into or taking over a new business now. By the way, he spent a couple of years taking a good look at boxing. It's a, it'd be a lot of work to roll up boxing right now and, and, and create something sensible of it. And, you know, right now, maybe a lot of people don't have that time or, or inclination at this present moment, you know, so I don't fault him for looking at boxing and not rushing into it, you know, and, uh, and, and, you know, he can talk about what he wants. He, he's entitled to his opinion. He says, you know, he's got his own point of view and he's a smart man. Whole kind of Mike Tyson story recently also seems to have reignited the perpetual debate about the best heavyweights of all time. And as someone who's been in boxing for as long as you have and has worked with a number of the top heavyweights, it'd be great to get your take on, I don't know, a top three or a top five, something like that. Well, I mean, you know, you have to go back and part of it is just an understanding of history and looking at fight tapes. Because you, you do have to go back and, and, and think about the, the comparable athletes at the time, what the heavyweight champion meant at the time, how great that heavyweight champion was to that point in history. So, um, I mean, look, I, I agree with Lennox Lewis, who said the greatest of all time is Muhammad Ali. And that's in, an, in and outside of the ring. And he was my hero. But, but I mean, as a fighter, Muhammad Ali was, was a completely transcendent talent as a heavyweight. He, he, he floated like a butterfly and stung like a bee. He looked like Barishnikov in the ring. He could move. He could flow. He had everything. He had rhythm in the ring. He was the greatest. And then it becomes a debate. You know, I would put Joe Lewis probably number two on my list. Um, it's, there's, you know, I would probably put Joe Frazier not far behind, you know? I don't know about a top five. I haven't given it enough thought. But, I mean, a top echelon, I, I could give you a, you know, I think Frazier would be in the top echelon. I think uh, probably Larry Holmes and Lennox Lewis are in the top echelon. And, you know, and they're all, you know, there could be debate. I think Mike Tyson's in, in the top ten, but I wouldn't necessarily put him in the top five. Um, Evander Holyfield certainly belongs in that discussion. Uh, Marciano was undefeated. I mean, he, you know, he was small and he wasn't as athletic as some of the others, but I mean, he accomplished something no one else has. He certainly is in the top 10. Um, so I don't know. I, I'd have to think about, about, uh, you know, I, I'd have to give it more thought, but my number one and two, I think would be Muhammad Ali and, and, uh, and I would put, I, I, honestly, I probably would rate of the modern heavyweights, um, the heavyweights of the last 20 years and 25 years, um, I, I probably would rate Lennox number one among that, the heavyweights since that period. I, I, I uh, you know, look, I'm biased. You know, I was involved in, 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 in his career as a, uh, you know, the television network from the, from the beginning. And he's and I and I have, a, I have a great deal of affection for Lennox as a person. I like him. I like his family. But I think and he's conducted himself like a champion forever. But I mean, Lennox was a great fighter, man. Lennox was top five, you know. Frazier top five, number one Ali, number two Joe Lewis, and I mean, I'm sure I'm missing it. I, you know, you you could debate about so many others, you know. What about someone just throwing it out there? Someone like Vladimir Klitschko, who was very dominant for a long time, but wasn't most exciting champion and came unstuck against Fury, obviously at the end of his reign. I think he's a top 10, top 12 all time heavyweight, but I, I'm not even sure he was the best Klitschko. I mean, I love him, <laughs> but like Vitaly was a great fighter. I mean, I'm not sure, you know, I think Vladimir might've been more athletic in a little bit, but Vitaly hit harder, was bigger, you know, stronger, maybe more durable, maybe a better ticker in terms of, of ability, you know, uh, stamina. I mean, I'm not sure that Vladimir was the dominant Klitschko. Um, look, he's an all-time great fighter, certainly in the top dozen. Put it this way, if you were looking at the top 
what is it now, top 12 or top 15 that could fight for a world title? If you're looking in the top 12 of all time or top 15 of all time, certainly the, both Klitschko brothers are on that top 15 of all time. Maybe you start debating about the top 12, and, but they're certainly up there. They're certainly in that, in that top, top all-time great heavyweight. Just before we let you go, what's your message? So is George Foreman. So is Evander Holyfield. You can argue for Riddick Bowe just on size and generation of heavyweight, you know? I always think it's very hard to rate Foreman in those sort of lists because he had two careers. And how do you kind of mold those two together and decide where he fits? He was a better fighter as an old man, but if he was, if he knew, if he understood the game and he understood dealing with people, you know, look, George was a better fighter. He was a better complete package as, as older George Foreman. But if you would have put that, that, that stuff, into younger George Foreman, he would have been number one of all time. You know, yeah, you have to look at someone's whole career. He had an amazing career. You look at George's whole career, he had a great career. So just before we let you go, what's your message for boxing fans who, like everyone, are still impatient, waiting for the sport to return? Springs of hope now? Yeah, I think so. But I also I always thought that we'd see light at the end of the tunnel. This summer, it's certainly not helping that it's getting sunnier around most of the world and it's a nicer time of year. But, but you know, I think that, you know, we're going to we've got to do our best to get back to some form of reality. I would urge people not to be stupid, to remember that particularly my younger, younger boxing fans or whatever and the kind that would, are going out to the pubs now as soon as they open or maybe before they technically open. Like I'd urge them to at least think about their older relatives and friends and the rest of us. And I think people should still try to be responsible, but look, we're going to find out a lot more and we're going to try to move ahead. That's the most we can do. If we need at some point to take a step back, I hope not, but if that becomes necessary, then we'll all do it together. You know, we, you know, we got, we're, we're, we're fight. We want boxing back. We want to see the fights, but we're also fighting for bigger shit right now. So we got to be responsible at the same time, but I, I do see the light at the end of the tunnel. And, um, and my boat's in the water, and it's not a you know, and that's going to be a nice thing to be able to go out and just have another uh, personally, selfishly. I mean, I'm a, I'm, a, uh, I'm I'm looking forward to getting you know a little bit of a release as people get back to some semblance of more normal over the summer. Brilliant. Well, we'll try and get back to Wednesday next week if we can, because I don't uh, forget mess All up right, my friend. this week. Have a good weekend. And you take care, Lou. Speak to you soon. This is Umar Ahmed for IFL TV in association with MTK Global via Zoom. I'm joined by IBF lightweight world champion Tiafima Lopez. Tiafima, I caught up with you at the start of this madness. Uh, how's lockdown life been for you? Uh, it's been, you know, it's been tough, but we're making the most out of it. Uh, you know, we finally got, you know, something right now. You know, I moved all my stuff from New York. You know, the car, all the stuff that we had in our apartment. You know, and then... Um, now I'm here in uh, Arkansas, <laughs> and then um, right now it's just waiting, waiting on everything, seeing how everything goes. You know, spoke with Bob Aram the other the other day, a couple of weeks ago actually, and um, talked about um, you know when 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 everything's gonna start and how, how they're gonna do it. And I told him, you know, I won't be fighting until I see how everything looks and how you know if anyone doesn't get affected with it, then then we can start talking about making the fight happen. And then. Um, just been training nonstop a month and a half about to be two months in so i've been feeling good feeling great eating healthy and can't wait tfima before we come on to lomachenko and the possibility of that fight being behind closed doors uh you got into a bit of back and forth uh with devin haney the other day and so so did carl moretti actually from top rank so let me just read uh, a couple of devin's posts in case uh, the fans watching this haven't seen them. So he started off by saying, Tifimo is a liar, and I'm starting to think that he's crazy. 
he actually believes these lies he tells. Then someone asked him on Twitter, so did someone uh, from Tier Female's team offer you a fight? He said, never in his life. So do you want to just clarify this? Have you ever offered Devin a fight? Yeah. Well, yeah. There's no way around it. The only thing is that we may not have offered it directly to him because he's with Eddie Hearns and everything, but we did offer the fight. We said, well, let's make the fight happen. I mean, the zone has talked about it before to make that, that type of fight happen. You know what I mean? Eddie Hearns has talked about it. But it's like, now that we got the chance to make the fight happen, they don't want to say anything. So it's like, it's, it's stupid. It, it, there's no point in even talking about it nowadays because like we try to make the fight happen. My manager, I told him, I was like, hey, uh, my manager, David McWhorter, I told him, I was like, hey, since we can't fight Loma, you know about it and everything. He's like, yeah. I was like, then let's make the Devin Henry fight happen. So they said that we can't even fight the people in the, in the United States right now. Um, you got Ryan Garcia that's in the United States. You got Javante Davis in the United States. You got uh, Devin Haney in the United States. I mean, these are the guys that people are like, man, the lightweight division is on fire right now. So so why not make these type of fights happen, you know, right now? So uh, we try to you try to do it. I talked to my manager. I told him, let's make, it up, make the fight happen. Send him. Send them, letting them know that we want to make the fight happen. And I was like, did he contact you back? Did Eddie Hearn contact you back? He said, nope. I said, okay. And then I did what I did. I talked my shit. And uh, like I always do. And um, next thing you know, Eddie Hearn, he just, uh, he wrote to me on his, uh, he wrote to me and everything. And then um, I just told him to talk to my manager, you know, and, and top rank and everything. And we can make this fight happen. Still haven't heard from him. So let's just clarify this. When Top Rank sent the offers to Haney and Eddie Hearn, what was the response from them, if there was a response to FEMA? There was none. There was no response. I think by them not responding back is pretty much my response right there. You know what I mean? So it's like, like I try to make these fights happen for everybody and for myself. I mean, like everyone else, man, I'm trying to be the best that I can be. And that's just beating everybody that they think that is better than me or whatever it is. So I like to I like to I like to step up to the plate. I'm a man of my word. I like to fight. So uh, it's it's just man nowadays the boxing industry and how they how they set it up now. So you know there's one thing I I love about Floyd and there's another thing I hate about Floyd. One thing I love about Floyd is his work work ethic, how he did the game, how he played it, and how he made so much money out of it. You gotta respect it. Take your hat off to him. He knows what he was doing. But there's the other part. Nowadays, fighters are just waiting to get that big check. You know what I mean? And that kind of, like, fucks up the business. Sorry for my language, but it kind of fucks up everything from making these fights happen um, quicker than usual. So, but I get it. Everybody needs to get paid. Everybody needs a big check. But it's just, like, how much do you really want from this? So a lot of people ain't going to want to fight Teofimo for $3 million. They might want to fight Teofimo for, like, $10 million or, or a little bit more. So. We just got to wait and see, man. It sucks. Let me read some further comments and get your thoughts on this. Uh, again, from Devin Haney. At TFEMA Lopez, if you say I got my belt in the email, tell them why you ducked me in the WBC tournament and chose to go another direction. No skills and a big right hand is nothing special to me. At least they acknowledge my big right hand. <laughs> oh, shit. It's too funny. Oh, man, I ain't ducking at all, man. I don't know what they're talking about. Look, you guys got to understand something. And I'm I'm, over, I'm actually going to be out. I'm going to actually go out of my way to explain myself more than I need to. When I don't even need to. I'm the one with the actual belt, and I want it the rightful way. He did it, you know. Speaks for itself. But I'll tell you now. If you guys don't know now, 135. I've been at 135 pounds for about six, seven years. Okay? All right? And this is throughout the amateurs, everything. I'm getting older, I'm getting bigger. All right. The reason why I, I didn't duck him, no, I wouldn't duck him. The thing is, I saw how they were taking the route of doing that WBC bullshit-ass tournament that they were trying to make up. But in reality, it's like I got to fight more times to get to fight for what? At the time, I think only Loma had one belt or two belts. But or two or three belts. And so whatever it was, but it was like, all right, it's either that, I gotta fight like two, three more times and then fight Lomachenko for all those belts or fight two more times. 
not even one more time, and then fight for the belt, and then make the fight happen with Loma. You know what I mean? I become world champion, and then we unify for all four belts. Like, that sounds so much better. And the thing is, like, nobody's ducking you. No, no, nobody's ducking you, kid. Like, I ain't gonna duck you, man. I ain't no bitch. <laughs> I'm not. So it's like, it is what it is, though. He can say all he wants, and he can, he can talk what he wants to talk. But in reality, though, who's the one trying to press the fight right now? It's me. Okay, that clarifies the uh, WBC situation, if you like. Let me read the post from Eddie Earn. Um, let me just get you know what w, you know what the WBC uh, WBC stands for for him? No, go ahead. Wanna be champions? <laughs> oh, what did you make of the exchange hey, between? Hey, 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 if you're watching this, you're a wanna be champion, bro. You're a WBC champion. Wanna be champion? <laughs> what did you make of the exchanges between uh, top ranks Carl Moretti and Devin as well? I'm sure you'd have seen it here. I don't care about it, man. He could talk. See, the thing is, like, you know when you roast somebody so bad? You know when you get somebody so bad they can't come back at something? Like, they can't talk to you back. Like, they can't get you back with a clap back or a comeback. So they got to go the other route. And that's what he did, you know? Why don't, why don't you say what I did? How about that? What did I tell Devin Haney on, on Twitter? What did I tell him? Let me just go to your, to your profile, see how Okay, so you said you was quoting his uh, tweet about him calling you a liar, and you said, "I don't lie, but what can I expect from a two-time email world champion?" Shake my head. All they do is talk shit because they ain't going to see me for real. Yeah, and then I had that picture I posted the next day, and it was Devin Haney with his belt. Go up a little more. Oh, you can see it. I can't see it. There it is. So in the middle of that belt is an email that he's a two-time email world champion. Just making fun of him. And if people don't know why we say email world champion, it's because WBC, uh, the whole thing with the WBC have their way of doing things. Uh, every sanction, sanction, uh, sanctioning body has their way of doing things. And um, with Devin Haney, though, he was supposed to fight Lomachenko. And I guess top rank and, you know, Bob Arum and everything, they spoke to Mauricio, uh, uh, the president of WBC, and they said, hey, we want to boost Lomachenko to franchise, and they made that happen. So by doing that, that made Devin Haney from mandatory to become world champion. And they sent it to him via email. Now he became world champion through email. And then after that, he defended it once with that dude, uh, Zar, what's his name? Goliath. Uh, yeah. So he fought, he fought him, defended it, and then... Um, and then after that, you know, he got injured, something like that. And he was supposed to fight his mandatory, which was Javier Fortuna. Correct. He got injured. He got injured. And then that, they took him out. The WBC has to keep the belt going no matter what. It's mandatory. They got to keep it steady. They got to keep it active. So during that time, they took the belt away from Devin Haney. And this is the WBC. They took the belt away from Devin Haney. And they put him as champion and Reese's or Reese's and champion. One of those two, champion and Reese's or something, yeah. So that means until he until he recovers, you know, he can't fight for the belt until he recovers, and then he can fight for the belt the first time once he's once he's recovered. But due to COVID, due to the whole thing with COVID nineteen and coronavirus, it was supposed to be Luke Campbell and Javier Fortuna fighting for the vacant WBC world title belt, and they had to post that and they had to postpone that fight because of the whole thing with coronavirus. So that actually worked in Devin Haney's favor. And that became, once he recovered fully, they contacted Mauricio, the WBC president, and they got their belt back. Now he is a two-time, well, via email, so he is a two-time email world champion. Last one on this, uh, Eddie and then added you said, at Tiafimo Lopez, you must have put an S on Hearn because no one has ever reached out to me about a fight with Devin Haney. WBC and IBF unification, if you want it next, then let's go. It's a hell of a fight. Have you got a message to Eddie Earn and Devin Haney if they're watching this to you? Why are they such a weasel? What, both of them? Why is he a yeah, why are they such a weasel? I suppose you'd have to ask Eddie that. 
Why y'all such weasels, man? You're such a weasel. Yeah, that man, they, they, uh, I ain't got nothing else to say, man. They just weasels, man. I look at it like that, man. So, they, and the thing is, like, what can I say and what can I do, man? I don't have nobody else backing me up. I got to back myself up. You know what I mean? Other than the fans, the fans are fucking making fun of it. They know it's true what I'm saying. Everything I say and everything I do, there's no faking me. You know what I mean? I'm always going to keep it real. I'm always going to keep it real. And that's my thing. Is like I don't lie about anything. So, But I don't have no one else backing me up. So other than my fans, and that's why I love the fans. That's why I do everything for the fans, man. So, you know, those are the only ones that back me up on everything else. You know, I don't have um, all these other sources that back me up right now. You know what I mean? But I'm talking my shit, and I'm going to back it up myself. Like I always have. I've always done my shit my way. Always this shit, like, on my own. You know what I mean? How how we get to this point? Because me and my father, we talk our shit, we back it up, and we make it look good while, while doing it. And that's what we're going to keep doing. So I don't care about what any of these guys say. And if you guys want to make the fight happen, I am gladly to make the fight happen. I am gladly to put my face, like, I'm gladly to put my hands. I'm gladly, no, no, no. This is what I'm going to say right now. I want your face to beat up my hands. That's it. I want Devin Haney's face to beat up my hands. And everyone else out there at the 35 division. Hey, Fima, let me give you a scenario. When you fight Lomachenko, in your opinion, when you knock him out, are you going to go back to, to Devin and Eddie and try and make this unification? And do you believe the fight will happen, secondly? I believe so. I think they're really just waiting for a big, big check, which they could get now. But I don't think, honestly, with the whole thing with COVID-19 and everything, they don't want, nobody wants to pay that much for right now. Nobody. Nobody. You know what I mean? Everybody's losing money. All the promoters are losing money. All the big businesses are losing money right now. You know, there's no sports right now. ESPN is losing. The zone's losing. So it's like, you know, just being honest here. So I don't think anybody wants to pay that much. Not right now, at least. How about a fight between Ryan Garcia and Devin Haney? Who's your pick in that one, Tia? They fought each other. See, they're confident to call each other one another out because they fought in the amateurs, what, six times or something like that? So they're used to it, you know what I mean? They 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 know what they're gonna come at, you know, they know what they're gonna you know, what each other gonna bring to the table when they fight when they face each other. You know what I mean? Um I think it'll be a good fight just for the fight fans, really. I can't really say who'll win. Yeah. But whoever does win, you know, the other one is pretty much out, you know, out of that. I mean, they could they could probably come back. You know, we all young fighters that are that have are are very talented. That you know, we have a bright future ahead of us. You know what I mean? But the other one is just gonna move a step a step closer to 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 becoming Hall of Famer and the best in the world. You know, the other one has to take a step back. So that's all of us right now, man. We're just trying to be the best that we can be, fight the best, beat the best, look good doing it. Definitely. Aside from Devin, of course, uh, your focus at the moment is is training and, and, you know, in the back of your mind, having pound for pound number one, uh, Lomachenko, and, uh, yeah, having that in your mind. And we heard some good news from Bob Arum this week that they're trying to get... September? Yes, exactly. They're trying to get Lomachenko to the United States uh, in September. It could be behind closed doors. Um, Obviously, that's going to be a shame for the pair of you. A fight like that warrants a sold-out Madison Square Garden. Have you come to terms now that it, it probably will be behind closed doors, Tia Fima? I ain't going to make the fight happen. I ain't going to make the fight happen. But I just say, I just say, hey, if it happens, it happens. I, I, I got to play. See, lately I haven't been political. I got to be political because if not, I get in trouble. So I got to be quiet. <laughs> Why do you believe it won't happen, Tia Fima? <sighs> See, the thing is like, the thing is, I'm, I live it. I'm inside of it. We do business together. We all go and talk about everything. I know the whole scoop of everything behind the scenes, what's going on, everything. So that's why. So I just, I know what I, where everything stands as of right now. If we make the fight happen, shit, I'm gladly happy and I'm ready. You know, the only thing now is just to lose these next 15 to, eight, 15 to 18 pounds and that's it, which is like nothing, which is nothing for us. So, you look good you know, just, no, yeah, I've been working out, drinking a lot of water, and just making sure that we don't we don't blow up, man. I don't, I'm not trying to blow up. I know that in any of these fights, whether it's Devin Haney, 
whether it's Ryan Garcia, whether it's uh, Lomachenko, you know, which is the fight that everybody wants to see and I want to see, you know, for myself. I want to make that fight happen, you know. But in order for to make these fights happen, I got to make sure that I stay in shape and, I make, and I'm able to make 135 again. I can't blow up. I know you, you think the fight might not happen with Lomachenko. I hope it happens because I think it's a brilliant fight. I think one of the best in world boxing. Uh, throughout the weights but anyways Tiafimo it's uh, good talking to you today uh, keep safe uh, with the rest of the family during lockdown is there anything you want to say to your fans before we go Tiafimo to all my fans uh, thank you for supporting me like always man and I appreciate I appreciate each and one, every one of you guys um, I can't wait to entertain you guys once again man and make these fights happen like Lomachenko and you know and so on and so forth you know and then go up to 140 and keep doing and dominating the sport so I thank you guys all, man. You guys are a big, big uh, inspiration in my life. And why is because you guys keep me motivated. So I appreciate you all. And um, thank you, man. I can't wait to 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 fight again. That's for sure. The takeover, TFM Lopez. Thank you very much for talking to IFL TV. God bless and uh, hopefully catch up soon, okay? You got it, man. Thank you.